Hey LifeBridge, we're back with week four of our Fully Formed Life campaign. So in this campaign, remember, we're not talking about uh, what it looks like to be perfect. When we talk about Fully Formed Life, we're talking about uh, spiritual growth and growing, uh, spiritual formation. And we're talking about constantly growing to be more like Jesus. Remember, our definition of spiritual formation is just progressing in love for God and for others. So, very simple in theory, but super, super difficult in practice. And we're basing the entire campaign off of Jesus' statement, uh, what Scott McKnight calls the Jesus Creed in Mark 12, uh, starting in verse 29, where he's asked, what is the greatest commandment? And Jesus says, Hear, O Israel, the Lord our God, the Lord is one. And you shall love the Lord your God with all your heart, with all your soul, and with all of your mind, and with all of your strength. And the second is this, you shall love your neighbor as yourself. So we've talked about love and how the verb in both of those is love. So love is central to the Christian faith and to our spiritual growth. And then we talked about the heart, what it looks like to love God with all of our heart. And last week we talked about the soul. What does it look like to love God with all of our soul? And today we're going to talk about what does it look like to love God with all of our mind or to grow in loving God with more and more of our mind. So when we talk about the mind, we're talking about our thoughts, our, our thought life. And first of all, let me say this, if you're an astute observer, you'll notice that in Jesus' comment in Mark here, he includes the mind. But if you reference back to Deuteronomy 6, to the Shema, there is no mind there. And that kind of baffled me when I first started looking into this and started studying it. Um, and I think the simple solution is that in the Hebrew philosophy context of uh, Deuteronomy, the heart encapsulated the mind as well. So it included the concept of the mind and our thought life as well. So it was included in the concept of heart. Um, in Jesus' day, due to Greek philosophy, it kind of expanded to include the mind. The heart and the mind is two different distinct things. So heart, mind, soul, it, it includes all of you, all of your inner life, all that you are. So when we talk about the mind, we're talking about our thought life. Uh, and it's wrapped up with emotions as well. Because when you're thinking of something, inevitably you have an emotion attached to that thought as well. Whether it's a small emotion, a big emotion, a positive or a negative, uh, good or bad emotional response. We're almost always having an emotional response when we're thinking of something. So uh, Dallas Willard says that most philosophers include... Uh, the, the feelings in with the mind as well. But for today, we're just going to really focus on our ideas uh, and images and our thought life with God. So when we talk about ideas, first, one of the things that the mind does, the mind operates in ideas and images primarily. Uh, ideas, something like freedom, that is an idea. Something like love, justice, God. These are all ideas that are culturally ingrained in us so for most of us, it's actually really difficult for us to uh, un unwind these ideas and see where they come from. Do they come just from our culture? Do they come from our upbringing? Where did I get this idea? And it's really tough for us to kind of unpack it because they're so ingrained in our thinking. Images are meant to convey an idea. They are uh, concrete, they're specific um, abstractions of an idea and they're heavily laden with feelings usually. 
So when we see an image, that usually leads us to an idea, and that creates in our mind uh, a specific uh, concept. So the American flag is one thing that connotes the idea of freedom for most of us, and that will conjure feelings in us. Uh, the cross is another image that should, I mean, this should be the most powerful image that brings us to an idea of God's uh, justice, perfect justice, and also God's mercy and God's love and his grace and forgiveness, all exemplified in the one image of the cross. So uh, it, these are seen, I think, most obviously for our culture to illustrate this, these are seen most obviously in movies and music, things of pop culture. Uh, pay attention. Whenever you're listening to a song, what ideas are being portrayed in this song? When you watch a movie, think what ideas are these images attempting to get me to either agree to or to rethink or to think about? Every movie is driving at an idea and it's driving that idea through images, through a story and how we see these things are promoting an idea. I do this with my kids all the time and it's, as they get older, it's going to drive them absolutely nuts. Um, we watched the movie Raya and the Last Dragon uh, a couple weeks ago. It's a Disney movie and uh, my kids loved it and I actually liked it too. I thought it was a great movie. After the movie, my kids are six and eight, I asked them, hey guys, what were the gospel themes in Raya and the Last Dragon? <laughs> and what I meant was, they, they didn't have, they didn't know what I was talking about and because they're six and eight years old. But as, as I processed it with them and started thinking through the movie, you see, and spoiler alert if you haven't seen it yet, but there's a lot of themes of redemption. The end uh, of, the, end of the, the story kind of points ahead to this time and this era when everyone, all the different tribes exist in harmony and perfection. And that's an idea of the new creation, for example. There's a redemption story of an individual, of the dragon who like gives her life for uh, all of humanity. All of this stuff are meant to display these big picture ideas of redemption, of peace and harmony, and all of these concepts that we have. So we have to be aware of that. We have to be aware of what uh, ideas are bringing into our mind and how they are forming us. And the, the, the main thing that we need to see is are we formed primarily by Scripture and by the truth of God's Word and all, all of the other ideas and images that filter through our mind, are they being held up to the light of Scripture and to the truth of God's Word or something else? So when we start, start talking about the mind, we have to first recognize that our minds are depraved, that there is something wrong with our minds, just like we saw with our hearts, that our minds are flawed and fallen as well. Romans 1 is kind of a, a long description of humanity apart from God, or humanity that is fallen and away from God. And part of Romans 1 in verse 21 and through 23, it says this, For although they knew God, they did not honor him as God or give thanks to him, but they became futile in their thinking, and their foolish hearts were darkened. Claiming to be wise, they became, became fools, and exchanged the glory of the immortal God for images resembling mortal man and birds and animals and creeping things. And he goes on, he goes on later, uh, verse 25, because they exchanged the truth about God for a lie and worshiped and served the creature 
rather than the Creator who is forever blessed. Amen. That's primarily the operation of the mind to discern truth from lie. And because it has fallen, we often miss it. Psalm 10.4, I think, summarizes it so well, uh, the condition of the depraved mind. It says, In his pride, the wicked man does not seek him. In all his thoughts, there is no room for God. I love that description because that often characterizes me. <laughs> you know, I see myself in this too much. That in my thoughts, there can be no room for God. And that's when I know that I'm, I'm in my mind, I am not thinking according to uh, my spiritual formation. I'm not growing closer to God. I don't, in that sense, in that time, have the mind of Christ. When my mind is so full of other stuff that I haven't connected those things back to God, to my relationship with God. Instead, in my mind, there is no room for God. Dallas Willard says it like this. He says, In the ruined soul, the mind becomes a fearful wilderness and a wild intermixture of thought and feeling manifested in willful stupidities, blatant inconsistencies, and confusions, often to the point of obsession, madness, or possession. So, our minds are fallen as well as the rest of our body. They are flawed. And so, our minds need to be transformed. And again, as we have seen all throughout this campaign, our minds are transformed by the work of God. That when we come to believe in Jesus as our Lord and Savior, He transforms our mind, or at least makes transformation of our mind possible. And then we begin to form it through discipleship to Him. Romans 12, 1-2 says this, I appeal to you, therefore, brothers, by the mercies of God, to present your bodies as a living sacrifice, holy and acceptable to God, which is your spiritual worship. Do not be conformed to this world, but be transformed by the renewal of your mind, that by testing you may discern what is the will of God, what is good and acceptable and perfect. Paul points us to this reality that we shouldn't be conformed to this world, that all of us, notice these are passive verbs, that all of us naturally, our minds are conformed to the pattern of this world, that we have been uh, born in, into a, uh, a culture that has certain ideas that are not according to the truth of Scripture, that have been ingrained in our minds, that is being conformed to the pattern of this world. But we need to be transformed by the renewal of our mind we become transformed by the work of the Holy Spirit in our lives and through Jesus Christ who has saved us so that our minds can grasp the grace of God, the beauty of God, the truth of Scripture, and who He really is. In Philippians 2.5, uh, the Apostle Paul says, Have this mind among yourselves which is yours in Christ Jesus. And then he goes on to describe how we ought to be humble like Jesus and give up our rights as Jesus gave up His rights. For others. In 1 Corinthians 2.16, he says, For who has understand the mind of the Lord so as to instruct him? He says, But we have the mind of Christ. We have the mind of Christ. So when we come to Christ, he restores our minds so that we can then be formed more into the image of Christ. Again, Dallas Willard on this, he says, The mind is the place where we can and must begin to change. The ultimate freedom we have as human beings is the power to select what we will allow or require our minds to dwell on. Which brings me to the formation of the mind. That in order to form our mind, we must exercise our freedom to choose what our minds dwell on. Are we 
choosing to dwell on things of this world or are we choosing to set our mind on things above, as Colossians 3 says? Are we choosing to think on God, on the good, or are we choosing to think on something else of our human nature or human experience? good example is when you are offended, the choice before your mind is to dwell on that offense, to dwell on how to get even with them, to allow bitterness to grow and increase in your mind and constantly processing and thinking about how they have harmed you and how they have hurt you. Conversely, you can choose to think about how I can forgive them, how I can take the mind of Christ and to exercise that in order to forgive them. What words will I say to forgive them? Processing through in your mind the offense and then finally coming to how you will say your words of forgiveness to bring healing and reconciliation in your relationship. You can choose what to think on in most instances. And so we must exercise that freedom in order to think on God's word, God's ways, and what he would have us do. And as I mentioned, God's word is at the heart of it. We must use our minds to know God's word and to hold every other idea, every other image up to the truth of God's word. God's word must be the first lens with which we filter everything else through. It cannot be the other way around. We cannot see other ideas and other, uh, uh, other ideas from the culture like the idea of freedom and then filter God's word through that cultural concept of freedom. Instead, we have to look at God's word first and filter our cultural American concept of freedom through God's word. And what we find when we look in scripture is we see that we do have that freedom is necessary and freedom is important for our life, but it is not the end all. For us to have meaning, we must give up our freedoms in order to serve God and to serve others. That is at the heart of what it means to love God and love others, is that some of the freedoms and opportunities for us to choose whatever we want to do whenever we want to do it, we must give up in order to effectively serve God and to love others, as the Philippians 2 text that I mentioned earlier says. So when we talk about the formation of the mind, we, we look at, uh, let's say, 2 Corinthians 10, 3 through 5. It says, For though we walk in the flesh, we are not waging war according to the flesh. For the weapons of our warfare are not of the flesh, but have divine power to destroy strongholds. We destroy arguments and every lofty opinion raised up against the knowledge of God and take every thought captive to obey Christ. So this walk of spiritual formation, spiritual warfare that Paul is getting at here is learning to take every thought captive and to make it obedient to Christ. It is learning to destroy arguments and lofty opinions that raise themselves up against the knowledge of God. So those ideas in our culture that do not conform exactly to the mind of Christ and the truth of Scripture, we must be so skilled and we must know Scripture so well that we can unpack those other ideas, take the good and leave the bad, and we don't have to accept everything that our cultural ideas are throwing at us. Instead, we can read them through Scripture because we have the mind of Christ. As Psalm 119 says, which is all about God's word, all Psalm 119 is about God's word. He said, Psalm 119 says in 10, verse 105, your word is a lamp 
to my feet and a light to my path. We need God's word. And when our minds are restored through God's word and, and we become so skilled at knowing God's word and God's truth and God's way that, that other ideas from the culture, when they clash up against God's word, we will identify them and we will cling to the truth of scripture. And what we do primarily when we get a better concept of God's word is learn to worship. Because one of the lies that we tend to believe, two of the lies that we tend to believe, are, are distortions of who God is and distortions of who we are. And when we believe those about God being less than who he truly is, about us being unlovable, for example, or um, just our identity not being rooted in Christ, those are toxic ideas that we cannot allow our minds to dwell on. Instead, our minds must be so rooted in Scripture and in the truth of God that we know and we trust that that is true against any other lies that come our way. Let's pray. Lord, God, help us. Thank you for uh, transforming our minds through Christ, that, Lord, we now have the mind of Christ and we can meditate on your word and know your word as truth. God, guide us in our formation process as we learn more of your word, as we study more of your truth and hold up every other idea that comes against us, every other idea from the culture that comes our way. Lord, we can hold it up to the truth of Scripture and see whether it is true or not according to your word. So God, help us study your word and know your word so well that any other ideas become quite clearly uh, true or untrue based on what you have said. Because, God, we need your revelation in order to know what is true. We cannot decide that on our own. So we look to Scripture and we look to you, Lord, for your guidance to reform and transform and continue to make our minds new. In Jesus, we pray. Amen.